You're listening to the Sunday podcast from LifePoint Church in Santan Valley, Arizona. We hope you're encouraged by today's message. For more information, visit us online at lifepointaz.com. To those of you watching on the live stream, we are glad you are here with us as well. We are in the final week of the series, Compelled, Compelled, which we get from the scripture in, anyone? First Hezekiah, First Corinthians 9.16, which is Paul saying that he has been called to preach the gospel and he is compelled to do so that woe is him, like death be to me if I do not preach, and not, <clears throat> I just had a mint, sorry, <clears throat> not death be to me like God's going to kill me if I don't preach, but more like the same idea that if I were to stop breathing, naturally I would just die, it would be the consequence, and so preaching, doing what has been called uh, by God in his life is become his purpose, he is compelled to do it. And so we are in the last week of this series, Compelled, and uh, prayed a lot this week on how do we close it out. And you know, I've talked on this book, I keep, sorry, I keep pointing at this, but this is that book, Compelled, by Dr. P.G. Vargas out of India. He's planted over 5,000 churches and essentially brought the gospel to the parts of India that nobody ever even thought it would get to, the Himalayan mountains, small villages, tribes that speak a language that nobody else speaks. He's gotten the gospel there, leper colonies. Um, India is obviously still very big in the caste system and so has spread the word of Christ to what is called the scavengers, which is the lowest class, which oddly enough is the class that Christians fit into in India as well, is the scavenger class. And so, um, and he was, just a, he was just a worldly man working in the Indian army, uh, addicted to drugs, alcohol, and women, and God brought him from that went and started handing out tracts and books and sharing the only thing he had, his testimony of who Christ is. And so this morning, as we close this out, I want to speak on what it is to be compelled to trust. Compelled to trust. Does anybody here in the room or at home find it difficult to trust what you read in these days? Not in this but in anything other than this. It's, it's mind-boggling, the amount of information that is out there about the things you'd like to know about, right? I don't know, like the vaccine. I'm just going to bring up something that isn't contentious at all. And so it's so frustrating because I have gone before the Lord and I've said, God, I just want wisdom. I don't care about political affiliations. I don't care about my own bias. I, I, I need wisdom because even the men in my life that I would normally go to wisdom, I know they've got a bias one way or the other. And so I, I just want it from you, God. And, and so you, you usually would do research. And so I do research, right? And I find this massive research search with immunologists from Oxford and from Harvard and Stanford, and they've bound together with all these other doctors, and they're saying, you should do this regarding the vaccine. And I'm like, okay, that's pretty good. And then in the same study session, I find doctors from Cambridge and from Yale and from all these other places, and they say, no, you must do this according to the vaccine. And I went, oh, well, darn it, there goes that. Like, who do I believe, right? Like, these are the highest minds in their field. These are the brightest people, and they both came up with completely opposite conclusions. That's really frustrating. 
Anybody else with me? Who do I trust? What do I do? This time is so crazy right now. And so as we close this book out, I felt like the Lord gave me a word for us today. I hope this encourages you, and I hope it brings you to a point this morning where you can truly sit before the Lord and say, I trust you, God. I trust you, and I trust you with this decision that I've made, and I've put it before you. And so my encouragement to you this morning is to wait upon the Lord and do not put your faith in research or the government, or men, but trust God. Trust Him right now, right? I don't know how so many Christian pastors can be so dogmatic in public circumstances over something that it's just, I have no idea. It's crazy. It's crazy the amount of information and misinformation. Who would have thought anyone would use the web for misinformation? Come on, fellas. Who would have thought? It's crazy. So, Open your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 2, 1 Corinthians 2. We're going to be looking at this chapter here where Paul talks about what he relies on. Paul's going to talk about what he relies on in a time in Corinth when they are being swayed in every direction, when uh, men with persuasive speech and charismatic personalities are stepping up in this young church in Corinth, and they're beginning to sway the public and the minds of the people and preach a different gospel than what Paul had laid out. And so I thought this is very fitting for where we're at here today. In chapter 6 of this book, I want to quote this sentence to you. He says, have you ever felt compelled to do something that God has called you to do, but on the inside you struggle because you feel completely inadequate to accomplish the task? Anybody? Yeah, that's every day for me. Just give you an insight into my life. Completely inadequate to shepherd, to lead. And, and what I have found is those are the men and the women that I often trust the most because there is a sense and a recognition that apart from the Spirit of God, I am lost. There is only so much knowledge I can get from this world. There is only so much training I can get the Spirit of God, as you're going to see here, what Paul's going to say in Second in First Corinthians. Did I say Second Corinthians? First? I knew that. Thank you. You're going to see that Paul says there's a reason why the, the, the words that come from the Holy Spirit, the, the wisdom that comes from the Holy Spirit is different than the wisdom of man because it has been hidden, it is a mystery, and the, the language that is being used there is it is a sacred secret, essentially something that from the beginning of time has been a mystery to man but is now being revealed through God's Spirit. So let's take a look at this. 1 Corinthians 2, verse 1. He says, When I came to you, brethren... I did not come with superiority of speech or of wisdom, proclaiming to you the testimony of God, for I determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. Now, he quotes this in that chapter that I just read, that verse right there, in weakness and in fear. And oftentimes for a Christian in faith, it seems like two contrasting things, does it not? How can I have faith in an almighty God and yet still struggle with fear? Anybody ever felt that? 
But the fact of the matter is, we know that this is a state of our humanity and where we're at. We know Paul struggled with fear, and yet he had a direct encounter with Jesus Christ. We know that every great leader still struggles with fear, because while my I am being redeemed. Well, I have been redeemed and I am being sanctified. God allows us on this side of eternity to continue to battle, to continue to see the difference between a spirit of fear and his Holy Spirit. I want to say something to differentiate this, so so hear me on this. The Holy Spirit will never use fear to get you to do something. The Holy Spirit will use the spirit of fear in your life to wake you up or to get you to recognize him. The Holy Spirit does not use a critical spirit. The Holy Spirit does not come at you and say, get up, you're weak, stop sucking at life, like do better. That's never the Holy Spirit. So if a brother or sister in the Lord ever comes to you and says that and says the Holy Spirit told you that, call them a liar. That's a lie. The Holy Spirit does not come with a critical spirit. Now, the Holy Spirit can use a critical spirit in someone else when you submit to him and say, Lord, I feel sick based off of what this person has just said to me. I need to be reminded what you say of me. Amen? I need to be reminded who you say that I am. And so God can use any of this stuff, but he himself does not use these tactics. These are the tactics of the devil. And so right now, amongst the church, and I don't even have to just say America, but across the globe, but because we're in America and we're in Arizona in America, I'm going to focus here. The division that is being wrought amongst the church has expanded to being every possible thing you can think of, right? From race, to gender, to sexuality, to political stance, to masks, to vaccinations, to the war. I'm missing some, aren't I? There's at least another half a dozen that have gone on to, do you, how long do you dunk the Oreo? Do you twist it and break it? Like, we are on both sides And we cannot seem to settle or love one another or show any grace to one another. And so what it does is it builds mistrust. We stop loving each other. We stop having grace for each other. And what's even more amazing is this isn't isn't even something new. This isn't even an American thing. This is in the brand new church. And this is why Paul is writing this letter, because this has been going on in the church. And people have begun to separate and say, well... Apollos baptized me, right? It was a great way to win an argument. So you're arguing with someone and you're saying, excuse me, Apollos baptized me. And you all know Apollos. He's a wonderful teacher. So I'm a little more special than you. We do that same thing today, right? Big churches that have satellite campuses, I have heard from people, oh no, we attend the main campus. That's where the pastor preaches. We don't watch him on a screen. We do that same thing, that same annoying thing that Paul says. Look at 1 Corinthians 1.12, right? Just go back one chapter. He says, I mean this. Each one of you is saying, I am of Paul, I am of Apollos, I am of Cephas, I am of Christ. Has Christ been divided? Paul was not crucified for you, was he? Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? I thank God that I baptized none of you except Crispus and Gaius and some guys in Stephano's house. Like, this is all he says. And why does he say that? He says that because there becomes this identity with the person bringing the word of the Lord and not with the word of the Lord. And I believe that's why there's so much division in the church and specifically in America. This is why I don't tie myself to any denomination because I feel like I have grown up my whole life with people saying, well, I am Baptist. Well, I am Presbyterian. 
Who cares? Are you a child of God? Do you show kindness to your neighbors? Do you forgive those who wrong you without them asking for forgiveness? Do you love those who don't love you? Do you give generously to those around you? I'm sorry, I'm a Presbyterian. Right? Like, who cares? This is what Paul is saying. He's saying, who cares who brought you to the Lord? In fact, if you look at 1 Corinthians Corinthians 3, so now we're going to go one chapter past 2, because 3 comes after 2. And uh, when one of you says, I'm of Paul, and another says, I'm of Apollos, are you just not mere men? What then is Apollos? And what is Paul? They're servants through whom you believed, even as the Lord gave opportunity to each one. I I planted and Apollos watered, but God causes the growth. Now look at this next verse, right? We can't stop there. This next verse is with a power. So then, neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything but God who causes the growth. If you're in here this morning and you have this relationship with Christ that we talk about, you had somebody in your life who planted, didn't they? They invested in you. They began to plant the seeds. They began to share with you. They had a a voice in your life. And then at some point, someone came along and they watered. And they continued to tend that, that seed that was growing that is the Lord. Right? But no matter who that person was, either the planter or the waterer, nothing happens in your life apart from God. Apart from his Holy Spirit. And this is why Paul, all of 2 Corinthians 2 is about Paul's reliance on the Holy Spirit. It's how he differentiates between things. It's who he goes to to give him wisdom. It's how he speaks. Now, Paul says, right, I come with not with persuasive words or with wise speech, with wisdom. Is this because Paul was dumb? He just was a very intelligent man? No, Paul is extremely intelligent. He was in the Sanhedrin. He was incredibly well-studied. He was incredibly well-spoken. He was um, charismatic as a personality. And what he's saying is, I do, remember when I brought the gospel to you, I did not come in any of these things. I did not use any of these gifts to convince you that Jesus was real. I came only with Christ and him crucified. And I let this be a demonstration of the Holy Spirit. Okay, i got to keep reading because I think I got ahead of myself there. Look at this. So I came, weakness and fear and much trembling. My message and my preaching were not persuasive words of wisdom, but in a demonstration of the Spirit and of power, that your faith should not rest on the wisdom of men, but on what? The power of God. The power of God. Why? So... I don't teach with a lot of props or a lot of notes or a lot of much pizzazz, right? Because I know I can do that. And when I used to be in business, I did amazing presentations. You should see them. I'll send them to you. I was hot. I was real hot. When I come with the gospel, though, I don't want any of that. It gets in the way, and and I'm, I'm not condemning any pastors that do, but for me... I know it just gets in the way. I don't want you to come because Nathan's going to give some amazing big thing or, or there's some great speaker who's going to be there or there's this, uh, you know, his illustrations are amazing. I just, I want the word of God to penetrate your heart. 
And I want there to be as few distractions as possible for you to be able to hear God speaking to you. Because if you have to come to the Lord through a performance and not a demonstration of the Holy Spirit, you will need to stay with the Lord based off performance and not a demonstration of him in your life. And so for me, it's crucial that when you come here, you are seeing a demonstration of God's Holy Spirit. And hopefully that's through what you see in the worship, in the heart of our worship leaders, what you see in our volunteers and those in the kids' ministries, all of our pastors who are here, and hopefully through my speaking, that I am speaking the words the Holy Spirit has given me. That you see a demonstration of the power of God, not through any sort of great technology or, or you know, persuasive uh, tongue, but through the Holy Spirit. Verse 6, we, we do not speak wisdom among those who are mature, a wisdom, however, not of this age, nor of the rulers of this age who are passing away. We speak God's wisdom in a mystery, that hidden wisdom which God predestined before the ages to our glory. The wisdom which none of the rulers of this age have understood, for if they had understood it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written, things which eye has not seen and ear has not heard and which have not entered the heart of man, all that God has prepared for those who love him. There is no amount of wisdom that you can gain. There is no amount of studying you can gain that will ever be greater, hear me on this, than your testimony. I'm going to say that again because this is one of the things I come up against more than anything in my time in ministry is people saying, I just don't have the knowledge to witness. I can't talk to my neighbor because they're incredibly, they're a science, science teacher and they're just, they're going to bring up things I don't know how to defend. This man has planted 5,000 churches and hundreds of thousands, if not now, this is about eight years old, millions have come to the Lord and he started with only his testimony at a train station where nobody cared who he was in the middle of thousands of people and he would just start to share his testimony it. You in your testimony of how God redeemed you from the pit is a greater weapon, a greater tool, and more wisdom than any man or woman who has, been, has their doctorate in theology, has spent time and time and time as a preacher. Your testimony is the very power of God in your life. Do you know that? Do not downplay that. Do not look down on yourself and say, I cannot go. I am too inadequate to go. All I have is my testimony. All you need is your testimony. And guess what happens? God will begin to mature you and build you, and you will grow upon that foundation. But where most of us stop in America is with the testimony. We just stop there because we feel so cut off at the legs and I can't possibly do more and God can't use me and it'll be so embarrassing when I go to try to tell them about him and people just shut me down. That's a lie. That's a lie. You know, the, you know another lie? It's the, so that's one of the worst lies. It's just like the one that says, if I ask for forgiveness of my spouse, I'm going to be seen as weak. You know that we know this lie, don't we, men? If I'm the one who goes and asks for forgiveness because she was clearly wrong, I'm with you, then I will be seen as weak. This is such a lie from the devil. 
He wants to keep you divided. He wants to keep you in hatred and anger. And so we believe this lie. I cannot be seen as weak or I'm going to be walked on. It's another lie that says all you have is your testimony. You need a lot more before you start telling people about Christ. It's a lie. Sometimes we got to call out things that are lies. And like I said, (laughs) I know there's a lot of misinformation, so I'm not speaking a lot on the things that are currently going on in our nation. But here is what I will say about that. I have friends on both sides of the massive debate, right? Last year it was masks, no masks. This year it's vaccine, no vaccine. I've got friends on both sides of this debate, and I get calls every week right now saying, what do we do? How do we proceed forward? And so I'm going to tell you. You ready? (laughs) You already know it's not going to be what you want to hear. Like, please tell us which one. Here's the fact of the matter, that if you spend time with the Lord, And you make it a priority and say, Holy Spirit, will you lead me in a direction that honors you? Then he will give you grace and he will anoint whatever decision you make. If you feel you are led to be vaccinated, you put it before God, go get the vaccine. If you feel that you're not supposed to and that it's absolutely the worst thing in the world and you put it before God, then don't. But here is where you need to change and I need to change and the world needs to see the church is massively different from them, is John 21. Peter says, follow me. I mean, Jesus says to Peter, follow me. And then he goes, what about him? What about James? Does James have to follow you? Does he have to feed all your sheep too? What does Jesus say? What's it to you? It's so hardcore. Like, that's like the most hardcore. Jesus like, what's it to you? So what? What if, what if I let him live until I return? What if I let him live? What if he never even tastes death, Peter? What's it to you? I told you to follow me. We compare ourselves in the Christian community so much, right? And, and we feel that because you are doing a different thing or have a different calling or, or felt a different word from the Holy Spirit that now, right, there might be something wrong with the other person. It's a lie, If you have put it before God, walk forward in boldness in your conviction that God will walk with you in your conviction, right? And then love somebody else who has a different conviction than you. Because I can promise you, right now, you do not have the secret piece of information that shows your position is right and everything else is wrong. I know how you feel, and I know how possibly you're leaning, and I know that you may have read some things, But the devil is a master of confusion. And right now he is doing his best work. Because it's not localized in a small territory of people. This is a global event that he is choosing to confuse every man, woman, and child that is trying to find truth. And he is spreading fear and lies and disunity. And the church is taking it hook, line, and sinker. So what do you say we stop? Why don't we stop? What if we just said no? Lord, you put a conviction on my heart, I will do it, and I will follow you. I will follow you, and I, and I will take with it the consequences that come. But in that, I will love those around me who choose different. If I am asked of my opinion, I will give it in grace and not critical spirit or judgment. And if I'm not asked for my opinion, I'll keep my mouth shut. Because what is it to you? Yeah. So there's that. 
I'm going to go back to P.G. Vargas here before you guys run me out on a rail. Okay. He says two things here, what to do when you know God has called you and how do you trust him, okay? And so I don't know what your situation is that you came in with, but we all we are always on the precipice of needing to trust God in something going on in our life. So this is two things, and I love this. First, recognize that you haven't called yourself, right? You didn't call yourself. God is the one who has called you, and he is the one who will empower you with the grace you need to accomplish the task. You didn't call yourself. And if God has called you into it, no matter how hard it looks, no matter how difficult or what your bank account says or what the outcome says, he is going with you. And secondly, realize that he has gone before you. He's already there on the scene waiting to meet you once you arrive. And that one, I can't tell you how true that second one is. How many times that I have kicked against the goad of the Lord. And when I have finally released that, that selfishness and that pride and said, yes, God, he's right there. Like, he is right there waiting and any trouble that I experience, I walk through it with him. This is not a sermon that by trusting God, you're going to get the right answer. This is a sermon that by trusting God, you will have peace no matter the answer. You can find joy no matter the answer. And you can use that powerful tool you have called your testimony to let other people know. I don't know the... I don't know the true efficacy of this vaccine, but I do know that if you're a believer in Christ, you have something that will heal everybody who knows about it. You have a knowledge. You have something that everyone, if they submit to it, if they hear the words and God's Spirit comes upon them, will save their life, will save their eternal soul. You carry within you that, right? You carry that with you. Do not downplay the word of your testimony. Verse 10. For to us, God revealed them through the Spirit, for the Spirit searches all things, even the depths of God. For who among, who among men knows the thoughts of a man except the Spirit of the man which is in him? Even, though, even so, the thoughts of God no one knows except the Spirit of of God. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might know these things freely that God has given to us, which things that we also will speak, not in words that are taught by human wisdom, but in those that are taught to us by the spirit. Basically saying, God's spirit will teach you. Stop trying to look out in the world to try to understand the spiritual things of life. Turn to his spirit. Turn to God. A natural man does not accept, verse 14, a natural man does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him. He cannot understand them because they are not spiritually appraised. And I love the NASB because of that one word right there. They are not spiritually appraised. Friends, if you find anger in your heart, judgment in your heart, over an unbelieving world doing sinful things, selfish things, and wicked things, you're falling into a trap set for you by the enemy. They cannot understand it. Think about you before Christ got a hold of you. All of this seems foolish 
Waking up early today to come and listen and, and worship seemed foolish. There was no basis to it. It was dumb. Being generous with your time and your finances so that others might have more than they do. That's silly. That's for the wealthy people. And it wasn't until God came to you and shared the spiritual things of his nature with you that you were able to hear, right? Stop being angry and start praying. Start praising him. How, how are you doing since we did that three weeks of praise? Has it changed your prayer life at all? Has it changed your perspective on some of the things going on? Last week, we saw a terrible attack happen to our servicemen and women and then hundreds of Afghan nationals that lost their life due to the wickedness that's in this world. Right? And the, and the first thing that rises up in you is anger, sorrow, frustration. And then as soon as that, those feelings go away, it became just blame. Who's to blame? Who can we put all this anger on so I can stop feeling it? Jesus said, put it on me. That's what I took at the cross. Give it to me and let me replace it with my spirit. You hear me? And this is a hard thing to do. This is a hard thing to do, especially if you're connected and had, did service time or were over there and you're seeing what's happening and you're seeing decades of what you feel is work that is being torn apart, is to say, God, I trust you. In this situation, in this time, I trust you. And anger is, my body is trying to fill itself with anger. My mind wants to fill itself with anger. But Lord, would you get a hold of those men's hearts? Before the next attack, God, would your Holy Spirit meet one of them as he's putting on that vest? And would you come upon him like you did Paul? What if the church prayed like that? And I don't mean the pastors, and I don't mean 30 pastors. I mean tens of thousands, of hundreds of thousands of Christians. When we heard that attack, we got on our knees and we began to say, God, for the next man who's going to carry out an attack, would your spirit fall upon? Would it then trickle down and fall upon those around him? Would it be a movement, God, like that was in that upper room where they, they just begin to speak in foreign languages and, and your spirit was there and they didn't know what to do, but they couldn't move because they were in the presence of an almighty God? Do you know it would happen? Are you aware of that? God would move like that? But when his bride, when, when, when we just follow the same path the world's following and we get angry and we lash out on social media and then we lash out at each other and, and when we fall into the same trap, we, we take the hands of God and I know he can do whatever he wants, so don't hear me as in, oh, God can't work. But his bride takes his hands and we tie him up and we're like, we want you to be as angry as we are, God. And he's like, I, no, I took that. I put that in the grave on the cross and then I rose from the dead and it stayed in the grave. I'm not going to put that and I don't want that on my bride. Last words here. He who is spiritually appraises all things, he himself is appraised by no man. For he who has known the mind of the Lord that he should instruct him, but we have 
Who has known the mind of the Lord that we should instruct him, but we have the mind of Christ? He's saying, listen, to the man who has been appraised, whose spirit has come upon him, no man can say anything about you. Don't let them criticize you. Their words mean nothing because you are operating through the mind of Christ, not the mind of man. Keep that in mind. Do not allow the critique of other people to stop you from what God has put on your heart to do. Oh, you can't do that. You don't have the health. You can't do that. You don't have the money. You can't do that. You don't have the knowledge. You can't do that. You've never been a good public speaker. You can't. You can't. Isn't this what a Christian family and friends do because they think they're helping us? They let us know all the reasons that are humanly don't make sense. And then you just let them know. Say, when they say that, say, but I have the mind of Christ. And so I'm going to walk forward because he's called me into it. In a time of great disunity and a time of great mistrust, friends, God has given us his spirit that we might be able to trust, that we would have a north star to guide us, and that we would not be led by the wisdom of the world, but by the wisdom of God. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we come before you now as we prepare our hearts to come to that table. Joe read it out of Psalm 23, you prepare a table for us in the presence of our enemies. And so, Lord, we pray just for a time of examining our hearts and our minds. Lord, I lift up the family members of those who were lost, both American and Afghanistan. The confusion, the, the fear, the hatred. Lord, we just lay it at your feet. We ask that you're you would come and move mightily in that region, that the world would see your move, God. <laughs> all the cameras, all the technology in the world, none of it means anything apart from what it is to know your spirit. To be, <laughs> to be redeemed and bought back from death. We thank you, Jesus, for the cross. We thank you that you've given us a mind that can look to things that are greater than the wisdom of this world. And I pray for those who are struggling in this loss, that you would lift them up, that you would give them courage. And Lord, may they know the power of their testimony before you. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to come to the table of the Lord here. If you didn't have a chance, the bread and the cup is on the back there as you walk in. You can grab one of those. The only requirement we have at LifePoint that you partake in the Lord's Supper is that you have a relationship with Christ. I don't care about your denomination or background. Just have a relationship with Christ because that's what we're acknowledging when you partake, when you take this. You're saying, I receive the body of Christ, the blood of Christ unto myself until the day he returns. So that's our only requirement. You prepare a table for me in the presence of my enemies. As the Lord sat with his disciples, he broke bread with them. And he asked them to do this in remembrance of him. And he took the bread and he said, this is my body given to you. Let's take and eat as we remember the body of Christ now.
He then took the cup and he gave thanks. And he said, this is the covenant of my blood. This is my blood. This is a covenant for all mankind. Let's taste and see the Lord is good. We thank you, Lord, for this time as we remember your body and your blood. We do pray this as a church, Lord. Help us to see past these things, to trust you in each and every small and large area of our life. In Jesus' name.